This is The Guardian. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Ah, oh, bollocks. Oh, Harry Kane. I just I just didn't want to see him haunched on his knees like that. I didn't want to see him trudging around the pitch again on the losing side, blasting a penalty into hyperspace with, what, five minutes left? And that is England out of the World Cup in the quarterfinals. At least it saved us from missing three in the shootout. Uh, he scored another to get them back in after Jermaine's opener. Some controversy, Saka looked to be fouled in the build-up. Saka looked to be fouled a lot in today's games, but England didn't quite fire. France didn't either, but were possibly more dangerous in a game of fine margins. It was Olivier Giroud deflected off Harry Maguire with the winning moment. Morocco won't fear them. The first African and Arab side into a semi-final. What a moment completely deserved against a Portugal side that didn't really show up. Ronaldo cried, Pepe was angry, but it doesn't matter. And more important than any of that, we pay tribute to the US football writer Grant Wall, who tragically died while covering the World Cup. A man who did so much for the game over there. Hopefully we do him justice. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Lars Sivertson. Hello. Good evening, Max. Hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton. Hello, Philippe O'Claire. Hi, Max. Um... I love you, Philippe. Even that high was said with such sympathy, you know, and I can see you grinning, but at least you at least you tried there. I tried. I'm laughing now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, no. Jim says, uh, I'll be skipping this pod, Oof. lads. Uh, Tricky said, at 1-1. Tricky said, no questions. I'm already preparing to unsubscribe from the pod to avoid the gloating from Barry. No, I, no idea how you bear it with such grace, Max. Um, uh, before I get Barry, Lars and Philippe's thoughts uh i caught up with barney just after the game hey barney how are you yeah i'm okay thanks max that was a, a very exciting game actually and even though obviously it's a bit of a sickener for england fans uh i really enjoyed it and thought they played really well uh as soon as they woke up at half time and had their little huddle it was a different story it was I got a fear. I just feel for Harry Kane. I'm, that won't be the first time I say this in this bit, Barney, but I really do. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that ball uh, that he skied, not just a bit over the bar, but miles over the bar, is, is up there still floating around with all the other lost England penalty balls. It's mingling with Chris Waddle's ball up in the sky somewhere, circling each other like like doves. And, and it will never land again. And that's And it's it's just a terrible moment for him because he played really well. He's very good at scoring penalties. He was, you know, it's just that he'll really feel that. And uh, football can be cruel because he didn't deserve it. Did you think England deserved to win that? Mm, I don't know. I mean, France, France, look, France were demonstrably a better team. Uh, you know, this is the World Cup is all about expressing your system, the virtues of your system. It's about going and saying, this is what we've got. 
This is what we've managed to create in testing your system against other systems. And France have been the best in this for 20 years. What you saw there was 11 starting players who are all athletic, comfortable, uh, balanced, really good on the ball and able to just make up the play in front of themselves. Just brilliant technical footballers. And England were not like that. England had to pump themselves up and reach up, to reach up into this game. This is they're, they're the, that's the kind of uh, version of what England are trying to be. And you have to just say that France is a brilliant team representing a brilliant kind of culture of creating footballers. And there's no shame in losing to that. They are the best team in the world. And England deserved maybe to take the game into extra time. I could see that. They did deserve that. But I, I don't think you can necessarily say they deserve to win. But they should be proud in defeat. I don't know if that works or if you're allowed to be like that. But that's how they should feel. What was the vibe in the press box of the referees' performance there, Barney? Obviously, I'm watching social media and that sort of broke down. I got a bit frustrated with him, but I am acknowledged that I'm completely biased. Now, the ref was very funny. I mean, he was not in control. He was he was sort of doing a bingo card. Of, basically, there, there were a couple of... Every time he didn't give Saka a free kick, you knew he'd get the next one. It was just, that one's a free kick, that one isn't. And he was just alternating, to be fair. Like, he had lost a grip of what was and wasn't the free kick most of the time. Um, I don't think that was deliberate or sort of corrupt or favouring either team. I think he just, he got quite excited, you can see from his eyes, but he, no, it wasn't great. And I have to say, I think France, France really did deserve to win, even though I think England played well. And Griezmann was fantastic. I mean, England have this kind of, we have technical players now, uh, tactically aware players, but Griezmann just is that times 100. But the cross for Giroud, everything he did in the game, they couldn't deal with him in the first half. And that's just a really, really top-class footballer, which I don't think is Gareth Southgate's fault that someone is good at football. But we can probably find a way that it is. Uh, Barney, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, Barney Ronnie there at the stadium. Uh, Robbie says, why does it always have to be like this? James says, how do we cope with this? Uh, Depressed Moyes says, why do humans engage in the same painful activities over and over again? Meanwhile, for balance, Jenkins said, I'm buzzing for some Barry, crying with laughter emoji. Rob says, can't wait for the Barry's biennial cracking open of a beer to signal it's not coming home. Enjoy, Barry. And Safe says, could Barry have scored that penalty? Um, I don't know if you're delighted, Barry. I don't know how you feel. You can let me know. I, I am delighted. I'm not going to lie. I'm, but I'm more relieved. And that was arguably the most stressful hour and a half of my life. <laughs> I don't. I, I honestly don't know how you coped with it. And I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the game, Max. Um, but surely this has to put the bed to bed the myth that Gareth Southgate is in any way a competent England manager. Once again, they have failed to be a team they sh- that they, they possibly shouldn't be, if you know what I mean, a, a, an elite team. And uh, once again, we've seen this before, they had them on the ropes, had, had France absolutely on the ropes around the 70th minute, couldn't put them away, conceded a goal, and then, now look, they're out. Am I being harsh? Yes. Yeah, I think you're being very harsh. I think England played well. I thought I was disappointed in the first half. I, I thought there was something slightly anemic about them because, again, France were not that good. But, of course, part of that is England doing a good job defensively and not giving them space to work with and all that. But in the second half, I thought England did just almost everything right under the circumstances and, and created good chances. And you have Kane scoring one penalty and then missing another. And, and, and France just looking vulnerable defensively. Hugo Lloris having to make some good saves 
you know, there's a miss from Saka in there. There's some justifiable frustrations with the referees, I think. Maybe not quite as much as as others might think, but I do think you have a case in some of those issues. And really, it was a game against a, a very strong opponent that was very finely balanced. England created more chances, I thought, and it just about went against you. I think uh, slaughtering Gareth Southgate for that is, is foolish, in my opinion. Sorry, Barry. They lost. They lost. Yeah, again, yeah, that happens in football. In the same way as they lost against Italy in the European final when they had them on the ropes. They've, they had France absolutely on the ropes here, and they've lost. So you feel it's Gareth Southgate's fault that you, they missed some penalties in well, the he, in, in the Euros, Barry? I feel he seems to be very deeply involved in these situations. They lost against Croatia in the World Cup semi-final. What, 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 what catastrophic uh, failure of his uh, duty did uh, Gareth Southgate commit tonight? What did he do wrong? He took Bakayo Saka off when he was the most dangerous player on the team and wreaking absolute havoc amongst the French team. Uh, he may have been injured. I don't think he was. Uh, but it's his con- consistent failure I'm, I'm talking about. If you look at it the other way, it's also consistent success on a scale that England have never had in the history of English football, ever. We won the World Cup once in 1966, and and between now and then, nobody has got them to a semi-final, a final, and then very narrowly. Okay, it's a quarter-final now, but a very narrow defeat. Um, um, John says, was this the ultimate match of moments? Neither team was tactically superior or particularly dominant two good teams met one took two of their chances the other only took one it hurts more than if we'd been thrashed I don't know Philippe if you think that sums it up pretty well I think that overall I would say that England has a really good reason to feel um, really frustrated about this game and it's not about the refereeing because to be honest I switched off the uh, English commentary after 40 minutes because I couldn't stand it I mean it was so one-eyed it was unbelievable it was actually quite shocking and embarrassing and actually I, I think as well it was not what England deserved because I I found England actually very good today um but like Barry I I cannot understand the substitution of Saka I if he was injured he was injured that's fine otherwise he was probably the best attacking player on the pitch. Uh, why Sabim? I don't know. But England created a lot. They played with more freedom than they usually play in these kind of um, uh, occasions. Um, a number of players do, did themselves good. And I have to say, you know, um, yeah, in all the lines, by the way. And France were, as they, are, as they have been, they're not the finished article that they were in 2018. They're not as balanced. Uh, the midfield can look very good at times and very fragile at others. The Varane-Upamecano uh, partnership is not quite working. Uh, Hernandez on the left-hand side is a bit of a liability against a player as you know, vivacious and inventive as Bukayo Saka. Um, so, so in a way, I, I think, yeah, I, I, was, I, I genuinely thought it was going to be two all pro- extra time and penalties myself because that's how close the two teams were. But I don't think England should be ashamed at all of their performance. Um, even if some of the subs uh, have baffled me. I mean, Saka's substitution really baffles me. But other, uh, what I would say as well is that France beat England 2-1 with Kylian Mbappe having per- perhaps a 3 out of 10 kind of game, um, which occurs well, occurs well for, for the rest of the tournament. And by the way, I want to stress that the first half that Antoine Griezmann played was, for me, 
the best I have seen by a French midfielder for a very, very, very long time. It was a masterclass. And we shouldn't forget that because I know we're all looking at the game apart, apart from Lars, um, because I don't think Barry's totally unbiased in this. Uh, <laughs> we're all looking at it, even if we're trying hard to be objective and fair, uh, we are not. Uh, there's always a moment the prism comes in. and uh, But yeah, England actually played really well, has every reason to feel extremely disappointed, but don't think France stole that result either. I mean, to, and I no. think France can no, play I much better than that. And there were some, absolutely, by, by the way, there were some movements as well from France between Griezmann, uh, Dembele, uh, Rabiot, Jules Koundé, which were absolutely magnificent. So here's to uh, what's going to be a very, very, very interesting game against, against Morocco. My God. That almost sounded like a, a, a compliment for Rabio in there, Philippe. Can we talk about Harry Kane for a second, Barrett? Because uh, you you can only feel sympathy for him. Okay, it was a terrible penalty. Lots of people going, has it landed yet, etc. And it, I don't know if, you know, taking two against your club teammate or it just, you know, it just he just didn't hit it well. But it's it's so gutting for him because, you know, for a player of that quality who has won no trophies just to see him on the defeated side again, it just is it's just incredibly painful, I think. Yeah, I do feel sympathy for him because I've already seen abuse of him start to rain down on social media and hopefully he won't let it bother him. But I, you know, I suppose you wouldn't be human if, if you didn't. Uh, yeah, I'd kind of question the wisdom of, of him taking two as well. Not not just, but he obviously felt confident and he... he sh- skided over the bar and these things happen and i'm now wondering am i being too harsh on Southgate? but i don't think i am i i look back on the the croatia semi-final and i think i think think... sorry i think england threw it away i look back on the italy final and i think england threw it away and i look back at how dominant they were on i even made a note of the time 72 minutes france increasingly bad need changes hernandez a disaster and, and I just don't know how England threw it away from there, but we've covered this ground already. Sure, no, but the the only thing I would say is Southgate did get them into those positions. Like you, you, it's like another manager may not have done that. But they haven't beaten much on the way to any of those positions. Look, you want him to stay in charge. I want him to stay in charge. So hopefully... <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I just think, you know, it's such fine margins, isn't it, Lars? And... And it's you know it's un it's unlucky. Let's t- just go through the bit of the game. So France took the lead to Shemani, and and I do think it was a foul on Saka last. And I might be biased. And and I've got- I, no, I, I I agree on that one. I think that's a clear foul. Whether it's whether VAR should go back is it's quite a long back. There's a big movement afterwards. Maybe that's outside of VAR's purview. I'd want to confirm that with someone who knows the laws even better than myself. But uh, yeah, I agree that it was uh, unfortunate for England that that foul wasn't given. One of several fouls that, against Saka that wasn't given for some reason. I think why it matters, Philippe, and I think I agree with Lars, there was a lot of football to happen. Actually, you'd let Tishimani take shots from outside. But he doesn't score many goals. Like It's a rare occurrence. But actually in that game, losing the ball seemed a really big thing. Yes. Wherever you were, wherever you lost the ball, suddenly either England or France like had an overload. And so that's why it matters, I think. Well, absolutely. Um, though I, I agree and disagree because there was something like, was it 27 seconds between this happening and Germany hitting his shot? That's a very, very long time in football. 
if it had happened in, you know, like two passes before the ball got to Tremaine, I would say, yeah, you've got a real case here. England had all the time they had to, they needed to get back in position. And they, we have seen, and it's that that didn't determine the game. Yes, it was a big moment because Tremaine, much to his surprise, and everybody else's surprise actually, scored a goal from outside the box. This thing that we haven't seen much of, by the way, in this World Cup. Um, but you're absolutely right. It seemed like the transitions were what actually decided the game. Every time France lost the ball, Rabiot actually lost three in the first half. I counted them. <laughs> you counted, a yeah, of course. <laughs> every time, and he's 40 yards, every time you felt, oh my goodness, this could be really dangerous, and this was dangerous. Similarly, when England were a little bit casual, I think Henderson had another one, uh, uh, another occasion on which he, he gave the ball cheaply, and which had have led to something quite dangerous. But it's because look at the pace that both teams have got. That you know, if if you lose the ball against uh, Dembele, uh, Griezmann, and 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 Mbappe, you're going to be in trouble. Similarly, if you lose it against uh, uh, Foden and and Saka and and Kane, who is no slouch, by the way. So yes, it it, it is true. It really felt that every time the ball was being lost, uh, it would be dangerous. Barry is talking about seventy second minute, and actually, I I made the same mention. Same note, 71st minute, I'm saying France are disappearing. I felt that France was gone. Couldn't uh, have three passes together, uh, losing every duel, every aerial duel. Uh, Giroud was not winning the ball against Maguire and Stones. Um, Bellingham was creating havoc as well. They were all creating havoc. And then suddenly it changed. And this is what the, the question you've got to ask yourself, why did it change? Was were the changes of personnel that important that England suddenly completely changed tack? Possibly. Can, can I just interject that in that segment of the game you're talking about, sort of around the 70 minutes, uh, an hour thereabouts, I was thinking France there for the taking, but if Southgate doesn't add some fresh legs, he's going to get killed for not making subs. That was the sort of line I had in the back of my head. <laughs> because that's what happened against uh, Croatia and against Italy, that he was criticized for making his substitutions too late. So, but, and, and, and just actually to correct myself a little bit, you know, I complained about England being anemic in the first half. But of course, that is the paradox of playing this France team, is that on the one hand... They clearly don't like it when the opponents get at them and put pressure on them and, and force them to defend. They're not comfortable doing that for reasons we spoke about in the previews. When we saw it even in the beginning of the game against Poland, they were kind of on the back foot and not liking it. The problem is, when you push up against them, the second you lose the ball, it's Mbappe and Dembele running in behind you and you're screwed. So I guess being slightly cautious in the first half is not a bad idea for England, actually, in hindsight. And then pushing for it more, which you have to since they scored a goal. You know, I, I can't find a huge... I, I, I don't disagree about taking off Saka. I agree he was really good. And I watching the game, I thought about that uh, message we had from a fan about how we haven't given him enough credit. And I think that's probably true. He had a really good uh, championship all around. And for some reason, he in that sort of group of really talented England attacking players, maybe he does get less credit. Uh, that's true. And he was really good again here. And yeah, didn't get enough protection from the referee, I thought. So that that's probably a little bit strange, but you can also understand, you know, Raheem Sterling has been one of Southgate's most dependable guys and he didn't start him possibly because he had, you know, been away from the squad. And you can also understand that when, when everything is on the line, you're a goal down, you have 10 minutes to try to change something. You can see why Southgate wanted Sterling on the field. Just a, a, a funny note from me and anyone who has 
experienced having a small baby sleeping upstairs is the art of cheering for a goal so loudly but in complete silence i think i gave myself a hernia like sort of like busting and i just like i couldn't i had to hold it in but i couldn't stop myself when that first penalty came in look we might might as well wake him up max yeah used to it you're probably right um simon says we talked about the referee here. Uh, regarding all the free kicks not awarded for kicking Saka to the ground, does this game provide more fuel to those Arsenal referee conspiracy theories? Maybe it does. Maybe they're <laughs> right. And Charlie says, after having never personally complained about a referee being biased, why is this ref so biased? It, it, I am obviously biased, right? I'm, I'm looking for some some England supporting help in front of me and I don't have it. And I'm, I'm sort of pleased about that because I got really frustrated. I got so frustrated and I know it's impossible. Like when you support a team, you just, you're, you are watching blind, right? I know I was watching blind Barry, but I felt that I felt that in all the, in like so many key decisions, even that penalty on Mount, which looks like it's such a stupid, but obvious foul. He didn't give it. And, you know, he didn't give that foul that might not have been a penalty because Kane was outside the box, but it's an obvious foul. And I just, I don't know. And Saka got bundled by Rabio once, which was ridiculous. But perhaps I'm just completely biased. I'm also biased uh, the other way. And I actually think he let a lot go. Saka was getting kicked around from pillar to post, which, you know, that's why I was thinking maybe he was injured because he took a lot of punishment. Uh, and much of the punishment went unpunished. Uh, the penalty, I suspect they decided it was outside the box. You can't bring it back and give a free kick. It has to be a penalty or nothing. And, yeah, the mount, I mean, that was clear as day. If the Kane up a Meccano decision, if that had been Maguire on Mbappe and it had been given, I suspect you would have felt hard done by. Mm. It's impossible to say. I feel now I've gone, <laughs> that's a foul. But, you know, carry on, Lars. Can I, can I be brief? I agree it's a foul. Looking at the pictures, for me, it looks like his legs get locked yeah, up possibly. so like his the foul happens just outside the line and he falls inside of it but he's moving forward with his body hunched so it becomes an issue is his entire body over the line it becomes that and I, I anyway i think not giving that is not a scandal in my opinion I, I suspect a lot of listeners disagree but that that's where it is um but i completely concur that saka was not protected or the fouls against Saka were not given as they should have. But you also notice, and this is understandable, it's a very emotional situation. There were some England players who were spending a lot of ref- energy on the referee as the game went on. Uh, and, and I saw some scandalous sort of, ah, objections to some decisions that were actually just pretty clear and clear and obvious. But you have to, of course, appreciate that's an easy thing to say from the sort of side room uh, office at home. Uh, if you're playing a World Cup quarterfinal, obviously you're going to be emotional about the refereeing decisions. That's fair enough. Yeah. Rick says, is this the worst referee since yesterday? Which I enjoyed as a, as a, as a question. Philippe, I mean, I don't know what you thought of that. Well, I, I think this game proves against that um, uh, some statistics mean absolutely nothing because we haven't mentioned yet the fact that uh, Harry Kane equaled Wayne Rooney's goal-scoring record for England. Irrelevant right now. Yeah. Irrelevant. And that Olivier Giroud became also, has added one to his tally and he's now number numero uno for good. And at the same, and also that Antoine Griezmann, but that's a stat that is worth repeating, played his seventy seconds consecutive game for France today. That's as many uh, games as Michel Platini played in his whole career for Les Bleus. 
uh, a such consistency, it's absolutely extraordinary. For me, he's the player of the tournament so far, for France at least. Let's hope he does more for football administration than Platini when he, <laughs> he, when he retires. Um, I, we, should look, we should have a minute, Philippe, of you uh, praising Giroud because he found the space, right? That's that's He got lucky, but he found the space. Well, he, he yeah, he found the space, but and, and he carried on until the very end. And by the way, he was very important in the last minutes of the game as well. He had some pretty important interventions and did things that I've rarely seen him do in the 90th minute, which is like chasing, he was chasing Carl Walker or something like that by the by the corner flag. Absolutely extraordinary. And also, it's one of his great qualities is that he had actually a pretty difficult game until then. Um, he had been dominated in the air. Uh, he hadn't had great service to feet either. What he tried hadn't really come come off. But... That's Olivier Giroud. He will carry on and on and on and on. Um, would that uh, header have gone in, by the way, if it hadn't been for the deflection, which I didn't see to start with? Yeah, or is I don't it yet, so. or is it, Or is it yet another thing that you can feel is, oh my goodness, everything was really against us that night. And also Maguire, I thought Barry was great tonight. Like I feel so much for him. He was brilliant. This tournament, he was so good, considering how little football he's had and the stick he's had for years. Yeah, he's had... a a very good tournament uh, and I'll be honest I didn't think he would I thought all the criticism and, and the lack of match fitness would, would get to him and he'd make some horrible error in the opening game and get dropped so he's proved me wrong he's probably proved a lot of people wrong but international football with England is a lot different to club football with Manchester United and uh, we'll see how he gets on when he go, goes home I'm, you know he can go home with his head Held fairly high, as can, I think, most of England's players. Uh, I can't think of anyone who stank the place up. There's a few I'd like to have seen got opportun- get opportunities that didn't. But, um, yeah, it's, it's... I think if I was an England fan, I'd be quietly proud, but also slightly seething at just this the manner of the defeat. They played quite well, but I think they should have won and they didn't. Do you think Southgate should stay or not, Philippe and Lars? I think he should stay. I I I I do think he should stay. Um, he's had the, the most remarkable series of results, as you as you said, uh, of any any England manager since Sarah Ramsey and Ramsey. That was basically one great result, then some not so good results. Other other than that, great consistency. As well, many people were expecting him to uh, to be too cautious for that particular game. He wasn't. He decided to stick to uh, his formula. Also, uh, he's got some players who are now really coming into you know their prime, and he should be given a chance. I think to have those players where as they carry on progressing. And I'm thinking it's Foden, it's Saka, it's obviously Jude Bellingham, who is going to be such a huge player for England. Um, and you know, I, I can't. And who else would you have? Yeah. I mean, who? I agree. I mean, I, I can take the point that people say, you know, he would be, oh, he would never be able to manage a Manchester United or an Arsenal or Manchester City. Yeah, that's probably the case. He's a national team coach, and he's bloody good at it. And he keeps losing to France. This is great. 
It's a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of high profile club coaches who would be atrocious exactly. as an international managers. I think these are two very different uh, two very different disciplines. I think it's listen on a night like this. If you're an England fan, you don't care, but it's it's worth remembering that he's done a really great job getting rid of the sort of culture of fear and anxiety that always hung over England. We we're so used to seeing this. This is something I can say as a non England fan. We're so used to watching players who play amazingly well for their clubs come to England and look like they're afraid of their own shadows and like they, they couldn't do simple things we don't see that anymore what we've seen is them get to a semi-final then go to a final lose on penalties and now they've gone out after playing against a very good French team a game where they probably shaded it in terms of creating chances and were slightly better but uh, you know missed the penalty and things went against you that happens in football I think throwing the manager to the wolves after that is absurd now what you might want to do is look at it and say he's been there for a while he's done his job in the sense he's changed the culture of, of that group do we want to start a new four-year cycle with him, or do we have some other guy and some other idea, some other direction? But as Philippe says, I'm not sure there's an obvious candidate that you'd want to do that with. Anyway, uh, the good thing for England fans is at halftime, uh, top loader played Dancing in the Moonlight. So, you know, John Bruin would have had an absolute field day watching that. Anyway, um, you guys can do the rest of the pod. I just don't, I don't fancy it. In part two, these three will discuss Morocco beating Portugal. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Paul says, if you were Biff Tannen from Back to the Future, this would be the World Cup to find the Grey's sports almanac for. Uh, <laughs> Copper 90 saying, uh, perhaps more importantly, in Marrakesh, Rabat, Casablanca, in Barcelona, Paris, Amsterdam and Turin, on Edgware Road and Labbrook Grove, Moroccan Hearts are beating as one. Barry, you called it. Yeah, I called the last one as well. I'd be honest, I don't really have anything new to add about Morocco because this was almost a repeat performance of their game against Spain, except they managed to get a goal in this one and, and a pretty fine goal it was too. But they ran out thoroughly deserving winners and my concern is that people who aren't paying attention are going to think they're a hugely defensive team who rely on counter-attacks and that really isn't the case they're 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 brilliant in defense but they're good going forward as well and they created i would say the same number of openings as are scoring opportunities as portugal if not more i haven't counted but um said it before i'll say it again they are going to take some beating um the first african country to reach the semi-finals of a world cup the first arab country to do so um their manager walid regrawi uh, before the game said, well, we have Africa behind us and Arabic people. That's important, but we're playing first for Morocco. It is a huge moment, Philippe. I, I I, don't know if you can overstate what this means for you know, football in the Arab world, football in Africa. Uh, judging by the uh, the reactions and the comments, you know, on the uh, African football forums where all the African journalists uh, get together and... Uh, uh, there's always an awful lot of needle between various countries and particularly between Algeria and Morocco. Really? I mean, as you probably know, it they're not exactly the best of friends. But tonight, that's not the case. Um, tonight, there's a genuine... Oh, no, tonight, there's a genuine, complete love and admiration for, for what the Moroccans have done and obviously a great sense of pride. Uh, I would say that the sense of pride is even augmented by the fact that Morocco, even though if they owe a debt of gratitude to Vahid Ali Dotic, who was, um, you know, I mean, he basically was um, fired, basically, after qualifying the team for the World Cup. 
the fact that it is with an African coach, uh, a Moroccan coach, that they did this as well makes it all the more precious. And I think that, you know, in terms of what it changes for Arab football and African football, I would say perhaps not very much in terms of uh, mm-hmm. what is going to happen to the clubs and so forth. Because if you look where those players are playing, they're not playing in Morocco, uh, almost none of them. But uh, it will change an awful lot in terms of mentality, psychology. It will change an awful lot, perhaps as well, in the attitude of some FAs uh, on the continent who will think, well, actually, you know what? You know, IUC said didn't do such a bad job with Senegal. Moroccans have done all right. So maybe we could look at our local talent a little bit more. Uh, because, you know, when you think, uh, when you think he was still coaching, I mean, he only started coaching um, clubs like two years ago at, at the highest level. And, um, and so that an inspiration. And yes, unanimity behind Morocco. And believe me, it's a rare thing because usually uh, it's all about rivalry, you know, especially, again, I said in, in Maghreb between Algeria and Morocco. But tonight, even the Algerian journalists and the Algerian fans are saying, well done, guys. It, we, we wish it had been us, but well done you. There is a moment, Lars, where Pepe missed that header and a Moroccan defender kisses him on his head. And it is, <laughs> I mean, it is, it's just an amazing picture isn't it yeah no no it was fantastic and uh i don't know if it's worth going into but like uh pepe's comments after the game like honestly i I haven't seen them what's he said pepe said after the game after what messi said yesterday it seemed that there was something very weird i'm very angry because the referee did not let us play so he seems to be homing in on on the fact that the referee was uh, was from argentina It's, it's just really i have some sympathy for sports people who have sort of They've just had a grueling physical experience and a, and a very, you know, fraught and a pretty fraught emotional state, I'm sure, as well. And then they have a microphone stuck in their face and we expect them to say something sensible. Like, it's not an easy gig. But, but the guy is not, this, you know, he's not 16. You know, Pepe knows the game mm. here. And I think blaming the referee after that performance is embarrassing. I mean, the biggest mistake he made was not booking Bruno Fernandes for trying to cheat his way to a penalty. Like, that's the only obvious mistake I can remember from, from that game. So, I mean, honestly. But he did say, he said, it's inadmissible that an Argentine referee was in charge today after what happened yesterday with Messi complaining. After what I saw today, they can give the title to Argentina now. It's not unlike Emi Martinez, who... Was he 12? Yeah. Uh, well, Emmy Martinez yesterday accusing the referee of cheating. I would ban him for the semi-final. I've been a- Yeah, I mean, there's no point banning Pepe no, because course. he's about 100 years old and he's not going to be back anytime soon. But, but, I mean, honest to God. Yeah, but we should talk about Morocco, right? And, and it's, been yeah, mentioned, should, sorry. it's been mentioned, Barry, on the pod before, but they, they make defending kind of exciting in a weird way. And they, and they really <laughs> don't mind not having the ball, do they? They're just totally cool about it. No, well... <laughs> I, don't, I didn't see the possession stats. I suspect they probably had less than 30% possession. Um, yeah, and that's all they needed, isn't it? <laughs> but they they never look particularly panicked. Now, Portugal did have chances. Wow, Felix uh, should have scored in the fourth or fifth minute with a diving header. That was a bad miss, you know, considering the, the great contact he made with the ball. And... Fernandez smashed that shot in the volley off the bar. That could have gone in. That would have been an outstanding goal. Um, and Felix had another shot saved later on, a good save by Bono, who's, for my money, the goalkeeper of the tournament. And Diogo Costa in the other goal cost his team uh, the goal by by coming out for, a, you know, it was a very indecisive 
uh, exit from his line to try and get the the, the cross, and um, uh, Yusuf Aniri beaten with a towering, really good downward header. But so Portugal did have chances, but Morocco never looked particularly flustered, even towards the end when Portugal were throwing the kitchen sink at them. They they dealt with everything pretty comfortably, apart from that, say, while Felix should have scored with that shot. But Bono's a very reassuring presence at the back, unlike in his rock band, where he's a reassuring presence at the front. Yeah, uh, and uh, if I dare say so... um it's been a very good uh, World Cup for you too, um, for Bono and for Ziyech. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. yes. I haven't heard that one. Well done for funny one that <laughs> no one's heard yet. Never. Oh, I, I just, yes. Well, there you go. There you go. Offered to you. Uh, you as, can't as see. So you, you're the only one who can make that work. Because if I say it, people just think I'm being weird. <laughs> no, can we, and yeah, well, they have both been very good. And we've talked about Sofian Amrabat a lot, who's sort of low-key one of the players of the tournament. He's just a, just a hoover in midfield. He's gobbling a, in the way that uh, that uh, Erling Haaland is the great combine harvester of who sort of gobbles up goals he sort of hoovers about in central midfield and just sort of gobbles everything all the chances there they go he, he, he sort of stops everything I also kind of want to flag up uh, as Adin Unahi in midfield who I wasn't really familiar with plays for Angers who's slightly beneath my radar who I thought I think has been good in some games but was really good in this one just really sort of propulsive runner with the ball in midfield you know it was everywhere and just yeah very good and actually, we talked about um, the threat that Portugal had compared to Spain, right? The, the last team that Morocco beat in this way. And they did, they, you know, it, it, the way they tore Switzerland apart, you were expecting a lot from this front line. And, you know, this is a different football match. But as Ed Aaron's pointed out, right, Ashraf Hakimi was the only regular member of Morocco's back four left on the pitch after Romain's size was stretched off, right? That's a long time to hang on to a goal lead, you know, and... and to do it with only one of your regular back four against that firepower, Philippe, is that is not easy to do. No, and um, and it's down to extraordinarily compact organisation, um, which again, which is why I was talking about Vahid, Coach Vahid, because that's the one thing he's absolutely fantastically good at doing and he's done with all his clubs and all his national teams. He's not very, very uh, lucky because uh, every time he's qualified a team for the World Cup, he's been sacked before the World Cup actually started. <laughs> uh, it's the thir- third time oh, in his mate, career. Oh, mate, that's not on. Um, yeah, I know. This is not on. But and, Which is not saying that his uh, successor didn't do his job properly. Far from it. Actually gave him far more freedom. But it was the organisation first and foremost. On the other hand... Uh, I was extremely surprised not to see the Portuguese have perhaps a more direct approach. Um, they seemed, in the first half in particular, they were always relying on these balls from Bruno Fernandes to Joao Felix on the left. And it was always the same crossfield ball, hoping that something would happen and Felix then one-to-one can make the difference, blah, blah. Okay, it didn't work. Then afterwards, they, you know, it was Jogo Dalla uh, pumping balls in uh, a defence that ha- is perfectly equipped to deal with this kind of thing. Then we saw Leal, who's a wonderful player, absolutely wonderful player, doing quite the same thing. What I saw very little for, for players who have got such remarkable technical dribbling ability is actually trying to go past players. I don't know. I was At, at some point, I was thinking, what are they doing? Are they trying to go by the sides all the time? Why don't they try to fix, actually, some of those defenders and midfielders and create space on the side then? They haven't done that. 
And Portugal were extremely, extremely disappointing. But the reason why they were disappointing is because they were not expecting such a, an incredible resistance from, from the Moroccans and such organization was admirable. I mean, I'm not the only one. I think everybody's talking about it. We're wondering, are we, are we seeing a rerun of Greece 2004? Mm, could be. It could be, couldn't it? Yeah, we, we, we should stress that we mean as a compliment, because I see. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah might, absolutely. That might sound a bit snide, but I mean that was uh, that that was very good. I, I do also want to mention again. It's so impressive that uh, that, that that to do this with all these defenders out. I mean, I, I admit when I when. Uh, when when Saez had to come off, I, I messaged my friends on WhatsApp. Ah, it's good. It's, it's gone now. You know, Portugal. They can't possibly do it with both their center halves out. And 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 you mentioned. I mean, a lot of the players are from the diaspora. There are a lot of foreign-born players here. But but actually, the left back uh, Atiyat uh, Allah uh, is one of the few players who plays in the in the Moroccan league for Villa Casablanca, and I thought he was terrific. I think the comparison with Greece is unfair. I have to say because. As good as they were in that tournament, they were bloody awful to watch. This team aren't awful to watch. <laughs> okay. So, so I've I've been searching where I can't really find. I would like to f- refresh my memory by finding like shot statistics from Euro 2004 because I can't quite remember. I seem to recall that they were more sort of uh, Roman Legion Testudo formation defense, like just sit back and just uh, lumper to carry lumper to carry stairs. And I actually thought, and you alluded to this, Philippe, I actually thought, Barry, that Portugal looked sort of desperate really early in the second half. Like, you're only 1-0, you can be patient, you've got really brilliant players, but they, they there was just a real air of desperation about them. And, and conversely, Morocco didn't get to kind of anywhere, lads, until about five minutes to go. Yeah, that's entirely fair. I think the first hint of desperation maybe came from the fact that they brought Ronaldo on so early. Um, this was the fiftieth minute, and that was I. I thought a bit of a surprise. I expected him to come on, um, but not that early, and maybe that led to to desperation in the ranks. But they were in full on panic mode by seventy minutes, like and Bernardo, uh, not Bernardo, Bruno Fernandez was was losing the plot. Like he looked frantic and and panicked, and it was a time I suppose for cool heads, and they lost theirs a bit. Barry did bring up Ronaldo there, Lars, and, and I think we probably talked enough about the game without going to him. Um, I thought we were going to just not mention him, which I thought would be a fun <laughs> way of doing it. The, the, Ali, the, the Ali McCoyst approach. Yeah, Michael says, have Ronaldo's post-match tears also hydrated you for life as they have well, me? I, I, did, I did actually on, this, on bringing him on when they did. I, okay, fair to say I am not a fan, but uh, I, I, I did think there was a certain logic to that because poor Gonzalo Ramos made no impact at all and it was a much harder game for him, no space available at all. And if you're facing this low block, this very well-organized low block, and the only thing you're able to do to counter that is to lump crosses in, I think out of all their strikers, Ronaldo's probably the one you want in the box for that, if that's going to be your game plan for the second half. We should mention that he equaled the world record for the number of caps for an international, a male international player, regardless of the rest and regardless of the fact that um, the end uh, to, I don't think is this the end to his international career, or could it be actually? Maybe, maybe, maybe it should be. Well, you know, if he, if indeed, if he's going as it is said to the Saudi League. It is. It would be understandable that it would have been his last game. But the way he left the international game, if that were the case, uh, by not shaking the hands of his opponents and just um, traipsing to the dressing room, shedding tears which broke nobody's heart, um, 
is pretty much i mean it's very much in the uh, in the line of what's happened this year for him it's like if you want to see a a great player as he has been a great player with a we like him or not um but that's one way to excuse the expression piss on your own chips uh on on your own legacy it's it's really quite sad actually uh, worth a mention for Chidera, who will, will miss the semi-final. Um, a fun centre-forward who I was going to say, you know, couldn't hit a barn door, but I, I, I didn't want to jinx it because we're recording this and I don't know who's in the semi-final. I didn't want him to hit, the, I didn't want him to hit that barn door <laughs> when it came up against England, but maybe it won't be that. But anyway, he misses the uh, semi-final. To be um, fair to, uh, to do, I, I think you're doing yeah. him an injustice there because... He, he's, okay. while good on the counter-attack, he finds himself in front of goal and then just refuses to shoot. So we don't know if he can uh, hit a barn door. Like, like, like the... it's a... <laughs> yeah, he might, he might be really good, but he is out. very reluctant to pull the trigger. Uh, the lots of empty seats, uh, apparently issues outside with fans without tickets trying to get in, and there were fans with tickets unable to get in. Um, elsewhere, Scotty says, how far could Canada have gone if they hadn't drawn international powerhouses like Morocco and Can- and Croatia in their group, <laughs> but rather the likes of Germany and Spain or something? It's a, a very good point. Guy says, a story before this game was that Morocco would be too tired and mostly too injured from their match against Spain. Are we destined to have the first ever who's too tired final between Morocco and Croatia? Will the loser be forced into taking a nap immediately following mm. the game? Fire Richards, how does the pod feel about the inevitable Croatia-Morocco final? I would feel sorry for the ball, who would quite literally be stuck between a rock and a half place. So quite, it was a bit harsh on the Croatian midfield, who quite like looking after the ball. but They're quite good at that, yeah. But they are. I have also just made peace with the notion that Croatia will just never tire. Uh, even if they look periodically like it's about to happen, it just doesn't seem to happen. It's it's it's, it's defying physics and what we know about the human body, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, right, that'll do for part two. Uh, in part three, uh, we will pay tribute to the life of Grant Wall, um, the US football journalist uh, who tragically died um, uh, while covering the World Cup yesterday. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't, right? Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. We want to dedicate this part to, to Grant Wall. We have lots of US listeners. I know we joke about the anti-US agenda, but like so many of you have been in touch overnight. Um, that's how I found out the news, actually, um, asking us to talk about him. Craig said, can we have a few words about Grant Wall? His passion for the sport um, and investigative reporting on the darker side of things was incredible. You wonder how the sport would have grown in the US without a journalist like him. David said... 
Hey, Max, whether England win 4-0 or lose 10-0, the long-lasting story will be the tragic death of Grant Wall yesterday. I was wondering if the panel, if they felt able, would be able to share their feelings about this tragic and shocking turn of events. Love to all affected. And Autumn said, Grant was more than just a writer. He was soccer writing in the US. He helped convince Americans like myself to get into the sport. He was our authority on it, both off and on the field. His passing feels like a death in the family. He he collapsed in a press box um, during the Netherlands-Argentina game. I mean, he was tweeting during the game. It all feels so strange with social media, doesn't it? He tweeted, just an incredible design set piece goal by the Netherlands. A team of medics arrived, uh, began administering CPR for the next 20 minutes. Um, after the match concluded, he was uh, taken away from the scene. His wife, Celine, tweeted, I'm so thankful for the support of my husband, Grant Wall's soccer family, and of so many friends who've reached out tonight. I'm in complete Shock. He'd written on Monday uh, himself. He'd visited a medical clinic in Qatar after feeling unwell. My body finally broke down on me. Three weeks of little sleep, high stress and lots of work can do that to you. Uh, What had been a cold over the last 10 days turned into something more severe on the night of the USA-Netherlands game. I could feel my upper chest take on a new level of pressure and discomfort. I didn't have COVID. I test regularly here, but I went into the medical clinic at the main centre today. And they said, I probably have bronchitis. They gave me a course of antibiotics and some heavy-duty cough syrup. And I'm already feeling a bit better just a few hours later, but still no bueno. Um, Philippe, you you knew him. And uh, I know it's difficult. We've had these conversations before, but it's it's incredibly sad. And I, I don't know how easy you'll find it to sum, sum up his life in words. But if you could try your best, I'd appreciate it. Um, I, I'll try. It's very difficult. I won't pretend I was one of uh, Grant's closest friends, but I was one of his pals. Uh, we met, uh, I think, for the first time some 20 years ago when he was just starting to become um, not a name, but the name in, in, in football journalism in, in the US. And which, of course, means that you've got to be somebody pretty special to do that, you know, to convince a, a magazine like Sports Illustrated, which deals with normally, you know, the big American games, you know, hockey and gridiron and baseball. And and suddenly you had somebody writing about soccer and writing in such a way that people were drawn in. And, and he was, I, I think you really can call him Mr. Soccer in America. And that wouldn't be an exaggeration because he opened the eyes, I think, of, of a huge number of people to football in a way that no other American journalist had done before. And he did it his own way. He was not borrowing from others. He found his own way. He had a fantastic address book. It was very easy to talk to as well. Great company. And and, and he became this the, the reference. And, and the thing is, perhaps what is the most shocking um, is that I think the memory that everybody who came in, in contact with him I was I was in contact with him just just before the World Cup started actually. Um, Grant was always the guy who, though he made it in a way that perhaps very 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 few football journalists will ever make it anywhere. He was the number one. He never used that to crush you. He never used that to um, get an interview ahead of somebody else. It was the exact opposite. If some guy was starting a podcast somewhere in Chicago, Illinois, and wanted Grant to go on the podcast, he would do it for free. If anybody wanted to go to him for some advice, uh, questions about American soccer or about any kind of football, because he knew his football as well as, as anyone, he would do it. And he would be this gracious, smiling, lovely man. And he's no longer with us. What can I say? 
I, it's, it's just a shock. I think you can tell. I mean, he was not my closest friend, but you you have seen what people have said on 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 the social media about him, Max. It's like to be loved like that. My goodness, that's something. Especially when you are in a position where normally people can get really, you know, not very pleasant. It was the opposite. He used this position to help people. And it's it's a huge loss, and and you've seen as well the statement from the USMNT. You know he was part of the family, and for I mean all all our American friends. I know you know it's it's it must be awful for you. We feel bad, we feel terrible, but for you guys, you're orphaned basically. Let me read that statement. The entire U.S. soccer family is heartbroken to learn that we've lost Grant Wall. Fans of soccer and journalism of the highest quality knew we could always count on Grant to deliver insightful and entertaining stories about our game and its major protagonists, teams, players, coaches, and the many personalities that make soccer unlike any sport. Here in the United States, Grant's passion for soccer and commitment to elevating its profile across our sporting landscape played a major role in helping to drive interest in and respect for our beautiful game. As important, Grant's belief in the power of the game to advance human rights was and will remain an inspiration to all. Grant made soccer his life's work and we are devastated that he and his brilliant writing will no longer be with us. US Soccer sends its sincerest condolences to Grant's wife, Dr. Celine Gounder, and all of his family members, friends and colleagues in the media. And we thank Grant for his tremendous dedication to and impact on our game in the United States. His writing and the stories he's told will live on. He was a he was a brave journalist. When they talk about human rights there. He was um he was briefly detained, wasn't he? Wearing a rainbow shirt going into to one of the games. Yeah, we, we actually mentioned it um last week or the week before. Um I mean I didn't know him personally, I had a few interactions with him on Twitter, but he seems to have been held in extremely high regard by an awful lot of people I hold in very high regard, so that's good enough for me. And I did see on Twitter, like, Jesse Marsh seemed posted a message, was very upset. Uh, Abby Wambach, among others. Um, so, and, and I really feel for the lads who were beside him in the press box last night, you know, um, that must have been just horrendous. You're trying to report on this game, this unbelievable game, and this is happening beside you. Uh, I yeah, I hope they're all okay as well. In terms of knowing him, I mean, slightly the different end of the spectrum to Philippe and that I didn't know him much at all, but I had exchanged a few messages with him over the years, just as as you do. And I was always really just taken aback by how, how pleasant and helpful and just needlessly kind, really, he was. Uh, because... You get to a certain stage, you know, it's easy. Anyone can check what sort of following he had online and the sort of high profile outlets he worked for. You, you get to that point. A, a lot of people, it can go to their head a little bit. And with some people, it's just because the demands on your time are such that you don't have time to, to be nice and helpful to everyone. Inexplicably, at least in my experience, he, he found that for me. And just reading the response to people online, that seems to be an experience that a lot of people had. And to, to, to get to a certain strata in, in this industry whilst being, being such a helpful and kind and good person, I think says a lot about what kind of person you are deep inside, yeah. You know, we have a lot of listeners in the US who will be feeling this immeasurably. We'll have a lot of listeners in the UK and around the world who probably don't, may not even know him. And I, I don't think a, a journalist in the UK, because there are so many football journalists, could have this kind of impact. Like, that is the thing to really understand is that, like, for one person to have such an impact on this sport across such a huge nation, you know, and a nation that will host the World Cup next year, you know, that impact cannot be underestimated. And like sincerely from everybody, 
at Football Weekly. It always feels trite when you say it, but we definitely mean it that, you know, especially for our US listeners um, uh, and most importantly for his friends and family, we send all of our love and uh, that'll do for today's podcast. Thanks, Philippe. Thanks for your words. Again, word perfect on such a difficult subject. All right. Okay, guys. Uh, thank you, Lars. Thank you, of course. Cheers, Barry. Thanks, Max. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian. 